Rachel was eight years old when she came home from church and was told her mom died in a car accident the night before. That day, her dad called her his brave little girl, and she lived up to that expectation. No one would see her cry for more than two years until her dad's death. If you are enjoying the podcast, can you please leave a rating and review? Go to the show and Apple podcast or in whichever platform you are listening and scroll down to rating and review. If you can write a review, I'd really appreciate it. Thank you. And now, Rachel's story. Hi, this is Beth and welcome back to the Daughters Without Moms podcast. We are glad you're here. Today I have with me Rachel. Uh, Rachel is one of the people who filled out the form recently on Instagram. I shared, put out a request for people who wanted to be on the podcast to, to fill out my Google form and I had such great response to that. It really filled my heart that there are people that are interested in the podcast and want to share their stories. So um, Rachel is here today to share a story of actually losing both of her parents. Um, and so I'm going to turn the mic over to her and let her tell us her story. And then um, we're going to spend a, the majority of our time just having having a conversation back and forth with asking some questions and things. Um, and Rachel knows that she has full disclosure to say no to any question I ask, just like anybody who's on the podcast at any point in time. Um, but Rachel, I really appreciate you being here. I'm going to turn the mic over to you and, and let you tell us about your mom and your dad. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. When I think about myself and words to describe me, I think of two words first and foremost, and those words are griever and orphan. Um, I was eight years old in the summer of 1998, and I was taken to my aunt's house on a Saturday night. My mom dropped me off, and it was just starting to get dark, and we said we loved each other on the stoop, and then I went to bed, and I don't really remember that Saturday night, but I do remember going to church the next morning, and it was the first Sunday of June. It was June 7th, and I was wearing a checkered tan and navy Amy Byers dress. I always remember that dress. I loved it. I went into my little small Methodist church, and um, since it was the first Sunday of the month, we had communion. And I loved communion. So we went up and I took it. And then after church is over on communion Sunday, me and my cousin would always race to the kitchen and finish the communion because no one ever had it all. But weirdly, my cousin wasn't there. I didn't think anything of it. I was like, yay, I get to finish all the communion. And then I twirled in my little Amy Byer dress and the mirror and it was lovely. I walked outside and it was a lovely early summer day. I got in the car with my aunt, my mom's sister, her friend was in it. I loved both my aunt and her friend. We drove down the road. She was going to take me home. And we drove past my grandparents' house. And a few years earlier, I was there when my uncle had passed away. So I knew that when we passed by my grandparents' house and there were a bunch of people there, that someone was dead. So I said, oh, no, I hope Papa and Nanny are okay. And my aunt and the friend looked at each other. And they had a look and I was like, oh, something is bad. So we turned around and she pulled into the driveway and my dad was there. My mom's family was there. My dad's family was there. And that was just weird because that doesn't happen. 
And my dad walked up to me and I have all these eyes on me and he kneels down to my eye level. And he looks at me and he told me that my mom was in a car accident and that she was in heaven drinking tea with Jesus God and Uncle Keith because that's how they explained Uncle Keith's death to us when we were four, me and my cousin I was talking about before. Um, and I looked away to my right and I think I said, that's your pretend voice. I knew he wasn't pretending, but I needed a second for him to be pretending. And I looked to my right, which was where the church, like in the direction of the church. And I looked up at the sky. That's where heaven is. And then I looked back at my dad and he looked at me and he said, that's my brave little girl. So I was like, oh, I can't cry. It was five seconds. Everyone's looking at me and I can't cry. So I'm like, okay, that's cool. I won't cry. Um, but I'm like, can I change my clothes? Like, do you have clothes for me? I want to get out of this Amy Byers dress like immediately now. So my aunt takes me inside a different aunt. My mom's youngest sister takes me inside to get me dressed. The friend from before I hear her say, why isn't she crying? And that confused me. Cause I was like, I don't think I'm supposed to cry. So my aunt gets me changed and they, she takes me out into the stoop outside and we sit and I'm sitting on the stair and I'm picking apart a succulent and I'm trying to convince her to take me and my cousins to Skateland because that was the plan. And she was like, we're not going to Skateland. And I was like, but we're supposed to go. Um, and eventually I convinced her to take us to a park. So we go and pick up our cousins from like a family friend nearby. There's two of them. And I, a cousin who's my age, who I normally have communion with, She's on, I like, got on the swing set and I look at her, I was like, aren't you going to say anything? And she's like, what do you mean? And that's how I told my cousin that her aunt had died. Um, so they take us to a park. The cousins get to play on the playground and my aunt takes me on a nature walk and we find a tree frog. And that's basically all I remember from the walk. Um, and I remember her hugging me and then I don't know what happens for the next couple of hours. The next memory I have is being in my day bed and facing the wall. And that's finally when I cry. Um, and then the next day, it's the last week of third grade and I go to school and no one expects me to be there, but I have perfect attendance. So I don't want to ruin it. Um, and then my dad told me, or he told me I wasn't allowed to go to the viewing, to the wake, because it would be too sad. And he sits me down the next day and he's like, well, do you want to go to the funeral? And I look at him and I say, no, it'd be too sad. It was my first moment of spite. Um, Cause I was really mad about not going to the, to the viewing. And also that's awards day. And I really want to get my perfect attendance award. That's really important to me. So I get my perfect attendance award. And my teacher, a family friend who's a teacher and my guidance counselor, they take me to the church same church that I was at before to for the burial and I again I'm not crying and I'm showing them around the church and showing them my favorite graves like my favorite tombstones and they get me dressed in another little checkered dress and it has a sapphire dove that's me my mom's birthstone um and I'm confused because then we have a wake I'm like why are we celebrating and then um a daycare that summer and that was weird because I've never gone to daycare and I'm from the country and these are suburban children it's completely culture clash 
but that's not my normal environment. So no one knows if I'm acting different or normal or what. Um, so that's the summer that she passed away. And then I start fourth grade the next year. Um, and fourth and fifth grade are really, really, really wonderful. I have lots of memories. That's when I start having birthday parties and going to sleepovers with non-family members. And I, my best friend in elementary school, we get roped into a, um, a sleepover. Neither one of us really knew each other. Neither one of us like asked for the sleepover, but like our parents set us up and her mom works at the school. So while we're waiting for her mom to get off of work, we're on the swing set. And she's like, so what's it like to have a dead mom or something like that? And that's the first time anyone's ever asked me. And I was like, that was lovely. I like that. Thank you. Um, and then the the next two years are kind of great. My dad spends a lot more time with me. My parents were both really hard workers. Um, they were really poor growing up and they've worked really hard to break cycles, especially my father. The reason I didn't find out until the next day was because he was in the reserves and he had to come home and like, they didn't want to tell me first, like he, he wanted to be the one to tell me. So that's why I had to wait. Um, but they like, we got to do a lot of bonding and also instead of like being sad all the time, which he was sad, he kind of got into like the life is short mentality. We got to go to Disney world and he took me fishing all the time. He got a boat and he would try to take me bowling or to the movies once a month. Um, so like, there was just a lot of time spent with my dad and there was just like a lot of normalcy and like, it was kind of great. But again, I don't cry. Like I remember one time he, took us both to the cemetery, to the same church. And I knew if I got out of that car and went to go to the grave, I was going to lose it. So I, I was like, no, I'll stay here so I can cry alone. Cause I don't want him to see me cry. Cause I'm his brave little girl. Um, and then I'm going to sixth grade. Things are still like, you know, pretty good. I'm very excited for the sixth grade. I've adapted pretty well to being motherless, I guess. Um, not perfectly well, like, but I, it's pretty good. I have a school counselor who talks to me. I get to have a special lunch with the school secretary, which was actually very bizarre. Um, oh, I get to go to dance class because life is short. We can never really afford dance class before, but now it's like make the kid happy dance class. Um, and then it's about not quite six weeks into sixth grade. And my dad picks me up to go to the doctor, um, but actually the backtrack, the same friend that he like suckered me into in the sleep ever, we became really good, like best friends. And one day he picks me up from her house and he tells me, he's like, I have an irregular heartbeat. And I'm like, oh, I don't really know what that means, but like, you're telling me, so it must be a big deal. Um, Cause you just find out. So he picks me up from school in sixth grade to take me to the doctor's office. And He um, doesn't really seem to be in a great mood. They've called down the wrong Rachel already. We were going to be late. He just seems to not be himself. And I'm like, Ooh, why are you in a bad mood? Whatever. So we go to the doctor's office and he looks at me and he's like, so do you still want to, like, if I die, do you still want to live with aunt so-and-so? And I'm like, yeah, like we've talked about this immensely about what the plan would be if he dies. Like it's a conversation we've had. I was part of that conversation. Like it was a, plan that we had. And I'm like, yeah, I do. 
And I was like, whatever, that must be a question on the pediatrician clipboard. I don't think it is. I figured that out much later in life. Um, so, and then they, he takes me to McDonald's, which is also something I did with my mom on the day that she died, big McDonald's both days. And then he takes me to the Y, which I had just turned 11. And I was like, oh, daddy, I don't have 10 issues with me. Cause when you're 11, you can go to the gym with your parent. And he's like, it's okay. And he introduces me to a Navy friend of his for the first time. And I go back to where the kids place is, but there's no other kids. And the weird thing about this kid's place at the gym is that there's a big open window where you can see the whole gym. And that's just, I've never seen a gym like that. And the, there's, I'm the only kid. So she sees that I'm 11. So she, she, she treats me like a grown up. I feel very grown up, like talking to this woman, like we're the same. And all of a sudden we see a crowd around something and we're like, what, what's happening? And my dad's neighbor friend comes in and he's like, Rachel, um, what, what is your aunt's phone number? And I'm like, what, why? And he's like, oh no, just, just, I need it. Um, I clearly put together what's happening. So then I give him my aunt's phone number. Um, and I don't run to him at all. And I've thought about that a lot over the years. I just stay where I am until my aunt comes and she comes and gets me. And then we're going to go to the hospital before we can get there. This woman stops us and she holds our hands and she starts praying very loudly. Lord Jesus, you saved my brother-in-law. You can save him, this man too. And I go to church and I'm like, I don't think that's how it works. Um, so we get into my aunt's car and this is the same aunt that comforted me on the day my mom died. So it's her little sister and the same cousins plus one new baby that was born almost a year after my mom died. So those cousins are in the same car, same backseat. And I kind of have a feeling that he's dead and I'm very calm on the way to the hospital. I remember giving like one of my cousins or my aunt tissues, but I'm pretty calm and we're like, it's going to be fine. I knew I didn't think it was fine. So we get to the hospital. And we're in like the little small room and the doctor comes in very bluntly and just bluntly says that he's dead. So the first time around, my dad told me second time around this doctor with no bedside manner, like looking at a child says it bluntly. I get up and a nurse is like, do you want some water? And I, that was the, probably the stupidest thing I'd ever heard anyone in my life say, I say no. And I push her out of the way, like not hard, but push her out. I run down a very long hallway and I get outside and it just turned dark October. So like from the seven o'clock hour and I start screaming, I'm an orphan. I'm an orphan like over and over. And the aunt comes out, she tries to come for me. And I'm like, I didn't even show him my grades. Cause I struggle with school sometimes. And I didn't, I wasn't always proud of like my language arts spelling test grades. So I'd hide them. But I didn't even show him like the A's I had in history because I didn't want him to ask about the spelling test or the math test. And it hadn't quite been six weeks, which means my six weeks report card hadn't come out. And immediately I was like, now he knows my grades and I didn't show him my grades. So it went from I'm an orphan to I didn't show him my grades. And she's hugging me. And eventually we go back to the gym and the gym is full because we have to go get his keys and his pants and stuff. I don't know why we had to do that immediately, but we did. And um, someone was on the very treadmill. It was number six. And I thought that was bizarre. And I go down 
to the sidewalk and I could just pick up the payphone. You know, you know, you're a kid and you just play with the payphone. I did that waiting. And then my aunt took me back to her house. That's my house now. And the little cousin that I gave the tree frog to before I start crying next to him in his bedroom. He's like, I'm going to go get my parents. And he's five years younger than me. And I put my arm over him very gently. And I say, no, you're not. And I don't let him go get his parents. I cry. And then the next day, I still have perfect attendance. I miss first block because of gym class. But I go to school. Um, that was a Wednesday night. And Saturday, that first sleepover I told you about before, it was a sleepover so we could go to Heritage Day. And that was a big thing where I grew up. Again, it's Heritage Day season. And that's Saturday. And that's a plan I have with that same best friend. And um, apparently you're not supposed to have funerals on Sunday. And my aunt's like, the funeral has to be Saturday. And I was like, well, I have plans on Saturday. So the funeral is on Sunday. Um, and I have seen the video for the funeral. I don't know why there's a video, but under the little awning, the preacher, who's my preacher, he goes to hug everyone, but I am crossing my arms and I'm just staring. And he doesn't even attempt to hug me. And, um, but I did cry finally in front of people. My sister had picked out a song by Ruben McIntyre, The Greatest Man I Never Knew. And I made it all the way through the funeral in the very front row. And I can hear my dad's sister bawling behind me and make it through all of it until The Greatest Man I Never Knew came on. And I think it was probably the lyric where it's like, I don't know which one it was, but I know at some point Reuben McIntyre was singing about the greatest man she never knew. And I lost it and I had to walk outside. Um, and I don't remember awake. I don't remember what we did afterwards. I remember my mom's wake very, very well. I don't know what happened after my dad's funeral. I do remember being given the, the flag from the Navy because he had done 20 years. And because of his irregular heartbeat, he was going to have to retire. So he did the 20 years. And I went to his retirement ceremony as a little girl three months, two months later in December with like two other gentlemen who also retired. And yeah, so that's the story of both of them. Um, and there's so much more complexities to the stories, but those are the two stories that I have completely memorized. <laughs> wow. Wow. So you were 11 and a half? You no, I was 13 days after my 11th birthday and okay. eight and a half. Eight and a half. In yeah. And I feel like those 13 days are really important because when you think of an 11 year old, do you think of like a firm 11 year old? I was like, yeah, 11. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. You just started sixth grade. You said that. Yeah. Right. Hmm. Hmm. So, okay. So the first thing I do make little asterisks on things that, that um, I find that I want to come back to that when, when your mom, when you said you were in the car and you passed by your grandparents' house and you saw all the cars there, and that you knew something was wrong. You were eight years old. I find that like extremely intuitive for an eight-year-old who has not yet. I mean, I guess you did because you said your uncle had died. That was so like I, okay. Because I like, I think the majority of eight-year-olds are very unaware of, you know, um, situations like that, where that something's gone wrong. And you said you knew something was bad. 
Yeah. And I said it out loud and I, they looked at each other. They're like, oh, she's not supposed to know because he knew she was just being slick. She was trying to put on an act of, I'm going to take you home. Oh no, there's people at pop-ups house. Let's turn around. And I've asked her why she did that. She's like, I don't know. Because yeah. nobody knows what they're doing in yeah. their situation, right? Even yeah. the adults. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. I've yeah. always blamed my awareness on the fact that like my mom died so young because I do have a good awareness. But also I think the most said phrase I've ever said in my life was even before my mom died, like I had a personality even before she died because I feel like they're two separate people. Like I couldn't start with like what life was like before she died because I don't feel like I'm that person. I feel like the eight-year-old, I wasn't in the car, but I feel like my mom gave birth to me twice. Once when she gave birth to me and again, when she died, because that Rachel's not here. Like a brand new Rachel was formed in the driveway that day. It's a completely different person. And I feel like a lot of people relate to that, but I get so one jealous, but two, I feel superior almost when I hear grownups who don't have a big grief until like they're in their thirties and they're like, I'm a completely different person. I'm like, I wonder what it'd be like to have a personality that you're aware of and like a humanhood that you're aware of. That's not shaped by that. Because mm-hmm. yeah. I didn't really become a human until that moment. Interesting. I also find it really interesting that your dad, you said he got down on your level and looked you in the eye. Like I've, I read a lot about, you know, communication and kids and stuff and that that's such an important thing. But then he used the words that he's in, your mom was now in heaven drinking tea with uncle Keith. Yes. Um, and you said that you listened to Randy's Randy from Grief and Grits podcast today before we are recording. And a big premise of hers is using language like that that can be confusing for kids. Sure. But it didn't confuse me. But what it did do is that I went to church every Sunday. My mom was the Methodist. My dad was on his dog tags. It said atheist. And that at one point really bothered me because of what I learned at a different church after, but he believed in ghosts. So I know he had like spirituality. But when he told me that my mom was in heaven, I was like, they used that language with my uncle Keith because we were three and four. And I keep saying we, because my cousin's my age and it feels like such a joint story for me. Mm-hmm. Like it's such a joint experience childhood. Um, I was just about to turn four when he passed away and I was at the house and like, that's where like, I knew people came to the house when people died because of that. And like in our church, like it just seemed right. Like it didn't confuse me. And I know that a lot of people like, don't want to use confusing language and you have to say the words, but I knew both times exactly what it meant. And I've never once thought or forgot or anything. Like I've never been confused ever about what happened but I didn't think my dad believed in heaven until that moment and I think that like shocked me more than the actual she's not here anymore but it was like now you believe in heaven like that was almost more shattering to me in the moment of like I need a second to process 
sure that she's dead. Like, I don't think I processed that. Like I heard it, but like everyone was watching me, but I remember being shocked that he told me she was in heaven because he was a ghost believer and she was the heaven believer. So that I was like, oh gosh, that really did it for me. Mm-hmm. Did you ever ask him about that again after that? Did you guys ever talk about that? No. About him using that word? About him I don't saying think so. There were two conversations that I did ask and I regret asking him. Mm. And one was, well, how long until like her body is gone? And he said, and my dad was really honest with me at all times. He was 35 when I was born, which was like, I feel like people who have kids when they're 35 treat their children like they're 35 too. Um, and he said, well, with all the chemicals they put in these, these days, like 20 years. And I think that he thought that would make me feel better but it disturbed me like to this day when I drive past a cemetery, it's been more than 20 years. And ever since, cause it's been 24, ever since it's gotten past 20, it's not as bad, but it used to really bother me. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one is we were listening to Tim McGraw, not Tim McGraw, uh, Garth Brooks, the dance. Mm-hmm. And I was like, if you knew how things were going to go, would you have married her? And he said, no. And that really disturbed me because then I was like, well, then I wouldn't be here. And like, that's like one time in life where I think my dad should have lied to me. (laughs) That I wasn't expecting that answer. And I was like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. And I immediately regretted asking that question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Because he was probably looking at it from the whole big perspective of his own heartbreaking and having, you know to live without your mom. Whereas you were thinking that, yeah, that would mean I'm not here. Thank you very much. Yeah. Well, that was part of it. Of like, I wouldn't be here, but also like those 10 years weren't awful that they were married. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Hmm. well, also, so I'm, I'm, uh, there's more to the story. I think with the, that's my brave little girl, like how, how many different ways did that affect your life and who you became because in the the two years between the two the two and a half years between the two um I'm assuming that that had a pretty major impact on your like you said you were a new person now somebody else was born in that driveway and it was a brave little girl who didn't let anybody see her cry yeah it still impacts me like at funerals that's what people remember like family like it's still an expectation that Rachel won't cry at the funeral um, I prepare a lot for each of my family members to die. I prepare how we react. Like I have really bad anxiety already. So, um, but like, I will prepare. You don't have to be sick and you don't have to be old. You can be a healthy, younger than me person. And I have prepared for your death just in case. Um, because I need to be in control. Mm and be able to help other people. Um, and I do cry pretty frequently. Um, when I was in high school, I cried a whole bunch, but when I'm at school, I would do it, not so much at home. Mm-hmm. Um, but that impacted me in so many ways because it just super made me like, need to be in control at all times and like um 
probably, I don't have like fight or flight. I'm much very much a, a freeze person. Um, that's like my response typically is to freeze. And I don't know if that's my natural response or if it's because of something like that, of all eyes on you. And it went, it was like less than 30 seconds between you're my brave little girl and why isn't she crying? And that became like the question forever. Why isn't she crying? Both sides of the family. She doesn't cry. She doesn't cry. And I think that's actually really common. Um, but when I was nine, my sister, who was just shy of her 18th birthday when our mom died, she was reading Motherless Daughters. So I started reading it. And that book completely changed my life because I knew I wasn't grieving the way other people thought I should. I knew I was not doing it right. But I felt like I was grieving in school. I'd write my mom's letters like all the time. I'd ask her questions like, why'd you leave us? What was wrong? Why did you do that? Because it felt very much like a choice. And also I have magical thinking like to this day. And I know I've talked with others who kind of feel the same way of other kids, other adults who were kids when their parents died in a car accident. All of us have this one thing in common and that's maybe they didn't actually die. I never saw her, yeah. never saw her body. Maybe Rachel was just so hard to take care of that she faked it and she didn't die. Um, or other parts of like magical thinking, I would tell my dad if I had been with her that night, she wouldn't have gone down that road because I was afraid of that road. That road didn't have lines. I wouldn't have gone down that road. And she would have gone the other way home. And he's like, do you really think that? I was like, well, yeah, because if I was with her, she would have not gone down that road. And he's like, that's not like you couldn't have saved her. And I was like, but I could have. Um, but I know about magical thinking. And I know about kids grieving differently because of motherless daughters. And as a kid, as like a nine to 12 year old, the things I picked up from that book was that ages six to 12 are like, is a, one of the hardest times to lose your parents. So think some professionals because you understand death, but you can't process it. So like you have the facts, but you can't do anything with the facts. And also I learned that children don't grieve in the same way as adults do. And that I might need to wait around until the grownups around me have grieved before I can grieve the way they want me to. Um, but no one was asking me questions really, except for maybe some kids were, but none of the adults were reading that book and none of the adults were asking me hard hitting questions or really just, I guess like checking on me. They just were kind of like, she's not crying. And I don't know what to do with her. Um, my dad did a pretty good job, like I said, of being very involved and active and like making sure I had a nice, normal fourth and fifth grade experience. Um, we went to movies a lot and a lot of good movies came out between those two years. Um, and we'd switch off and go back and forth and like who picked the movie and we'd go bowling. And the rule was he had to double my score to win. So that way he could play as well as he wanted. And I still had a chance to win. Um, so he did a really, really great job as good as he could do, I think. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Certainly sounds like it. Yes. And he gave me, I think those are like my best favorite two years of my whole life, which mm. is so weird and guilty that like my favorite two years of my whole entire life were the two years after my mom died. But those were two really cool years. And also I think being a nine and 10 year old, you're that's just good part of life anyways. Mm-hmm. You're just situational. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a lot of attention. Like I told you before, I got to get eat lunch with the school secretary, like one-on-one. Looking back, that was really weird because I remember our conversations would be like, there's a new kid in April? That's so weird. How, what is the admin work about that? You must have a hard week this week, Miss Knuckles. Like, that's a really weird conversation. It would just be the two of us. We had like a little table set up in the cafeteria for that question. And sometimes we eat outside. She'd always give me a gift. And then I'd come back with the gift. And the kids would be like, she has a gift. Why does she get a gift? And I'm like, y'all know why. It's not a secret. It was not a secret that my mom was dead because I talked about it a lot. Mm. Um, and it was a big part of my story because my dad worked a welder. He was a welder at a rock quarry. And then he did side work as a landscaper. And I would go with him to do that. And he also was in the reserves. He had a lot of jobs. So I wasn't going to bother him to go buy me a costume for the school play. And I would tell the kid that you need to tell your mom, I can't do that. Or I'm not, like, I couldn't find the Valentine's he bought me. And we live in the country. I'm not going to like, daddy, can you please drive me 30 minutes to get new Valentine's? So I make my own. And then the kids at school were like, these Valentine's aren't good. And like teacher appreciation. I wasn't going to ask my dad who works so hard to buy a teacher appreciation gift. And I felt like I was the only kid who didn't have it. And he probably would have bought it. He just didn't know. Yeah. I didn't want to bother him with those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it was like little little cues that I was different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I was, I would talk about my mom a lot still though. Yeah. I find that interesting. How did, how was that received? Do you, do you remember how was that received? Because of other eight or nine-year-olds, you know, that don't have that intuition and that just wondering how it was, how you feel like it was received. I was already a weird kid. I don't really, I think it was just like, she's just being weird still. Um, I do think it was annoying, like all throughout school because it just got more and more and through like high school. Um, that I would talk about it a lot because I didn't get a lot of professional help after my dad died. Like a social worker never, never came and checked on me at the hospital. Really? Um, and that's something I'm always wondering about. Like, where was the social worker? Yeah. Then the social worker never came and oh. ever. And there was no like follow-up and like I had therapy, I think. Like the judge was like, you have to have therapy. And then I'm like, I-, I think I made like a little excuse of not liking the therapist. And all of a sudden, it's like, fine, you don't have to go to therapy. But I was like, I should be in therapy. And there was like a comfort zone camp. But I was like, I don't know if I can relate to those kids. What if their story's different? Or like, what if I'm more sad than them? How could they possibly be more sad than I am? I don't want to talk to them. But I just wish a grown up had been like, no, you're going to go to the grief camp and like pushed me into it. But they just 
it was too easy to be like, well, she doesn't want to do it. So, but then it became, well, you didn't grieve. Now it's been five years and now you can't grieve. Sorry. Um, and then I was like a young adult and I was still talking a lot about my dead parents, which is very different than my parents and adults and peers alike would be like, you should probably not talk about it so much. You should tone it down. Um, and I was like, well, you don't know what it feels like to not have parents because of the reason I don't have parents. Most of them did have parents. And I was like, I can't stop talking about them because I still feel deeply attached to them in the way that I think children feel attached to their parents because I'm still tethered as an eight-year-old and an 11-year-old. And I just kept talking about it. And then in like my mid twenties, I was given something new to grieve and I kind of didn't talk about them as much. And I kind of like pushed them away a little and my grief became internal more. And then eventually I started talking about them all the time again. And I get, went back to, you just need to get over it. Stop talking about them. And that would come from older people, people my age. And then in like the last two years, I turned 30 right before COVID happened. And now people think it's like super fascinating, super interesting, which has always been true. But now they're like, I'm so glad you're talking about this. It's like, oh, this is so great. You're normalizing it. And I'm like, oh, it took, you know, 24, 22 years for it to be okay for me to talk about. But I'm so glad I didn't shut up about it because now people are glad that I'm talking about it. But it's like absolutely my number one personality trait. I used to always say, I'd be like, my name is Rachel and I have dead parents because I don't necessarily know how to, when's the appropriate time to mention it. Mm -hmm. If you wait too long, people are like, why didn't you tell me yet? And if you say it too soon, it's too much. Also people assume it's this huge, big trauma, like the biggest thing ever, but I've talked about it so much from day one that it's like the same as saying, look, my parents are divorced. And I've separated who each version of Rachel. So there's the version of Rachel who existed before my mom died. And then there's the Rachel that got to exist for two and a half years. And then there's the Rachel after her dad died. And they're different, but they're also the same. It's kind of hard to explain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, and I think it's, Maybe if just my mom had died, I wouldn't have talked about it so much. Mm -hmm. But because they both died, mm -hmm. I had to kind of talk about it, I felt like. Mm -hmm. um, and then, like, if you start using past tense, people pick up on that. And then they're like, they'll ask, like, oh, past tense? Like, was? And I'm like, yeah. So even if I try not to say it, they will draw it out of me because they want to know why I'm using past tenses. Mm hmm. Hmm. Mm -hmm. So how you said, you know, separated each version of Rachel, the one before mom and then the two years and then after your dad. So what do you think your version, version of Rachel is now? I think my last rebirth was when I was 30, which was also right before COVID. So like my twenties was a different, whole different person of me too. Not quite in the same way, but like, I'm just different than I was. A couple of years ago, I think a lot of us are. Yeah. Um, I think the 
Rachel in her 20s was very scared of a lot of things and just not as confident and comfortable as a lot of 20-somethings are. And like I said before, I was always a weird kid. And then I was always a grieving kid and a talkative kid. And um, things that people used to not like about me before I was 30, all of a sudden they're like, you made it to 30 and you still, that didn't get squashed out of you. So now it's like so appreciated. Whereas when I was 28, it was like, you should probably like try therapy, which I'm in therapy, but like, just like four years ago, I would get a lot of, you should stop. And now it's like, please don't stop. It's much more appreciated for some reason. And maybe it's because people are more open because of the pandemic. Yeah. 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 I think the one thing the pandemic did was just make, made us, um, well, you use the word appreciate just humanity and the connection and humanness and the realness of life and what all that entails, you know, all the different aspects of it, the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, so you just made me think of, um, I had a, a daughter on the podcast and she had a funeral for her twenties. I just loved that idea when she turned 30. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of that before, but no, I, I like have, that. I do too. It was so great. Her name's Andrea. I'll send you, which I don't know off the top of my head, which, which episode she was, but then she came back and shared about being a daughter without a mom on her wedding day. Um, but her dad is still alive, but um, it was such a great idea. Like just acknowledging that I'm turning, you know, it's a new century. Thank you for what you taught me. I appreciate everything I learned in my twenties, but I'm letting that go, which I think is just can be such a powerful thing. Cause I think, especially as women, we tend to hold on to a lot of things for feelings and judgments and perceptions for years and years and years. And she said, she just let it all go. Yeah. I, have, I have two girls that are in their twenties. I'm like, we're going to think about that. <laughs> well, you just reminded me of two things. Um, one is turning a new age. Another thing that was in Hope's book, Motherless Daughters, was how hard it is to turn the age that your mother is. And me and my mother, our birthdays are three weeks apart. So I could easily do the math. I know down to the day when I'll pass her. Actually, the day that will be the same exact age will be my father's birthday. Wow. In a, a couple of years, so I'm like, I think four years out from it. But I read that and I'm, I was like nine years old. I'm like, okay, so women have hard time turning the age. So I have been planning to turn 38 my whole life, but that's all I've been planning for. I never thought I would make it past that. I never really let myself think about my forties, which is my dad was 46 when he died, never touched my forties. I used to say, I'm going to die when I, in my thirties. And I'd be like 15 saying this to classmates. And I'd be like, what? <laughs> and I would say it no, so nonchalantly. Everything I like say about this stuff is like, so matter of fact, and no one else is talking about the things I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm like, I will not have a crisis when I turn 37 or 38. I will be prepared and have been planning this birthday party based on a fantastical story my mom told me when um, I used to be like, mama, tell me a story from when you were little. And she didn't like doing that. So she would say, well, they 
we'd have a whole parade just for me and there'd be clowns and jugglers and horses and streamers, like every kid's dream. Mm-hmm. So I've always, I'm going to do that. That's always been the plan. But lately I'm like, maybe you should just go to Europe or <laughs> something. Yeah. Um, but I've been planning for my 38th birthday since I was nine years old. Wow. Mm. You did have an extra dose of intuition from a young age. <laughs> well, I mean, the book said it. The book told yeah, me. That's it was true. Gonna... So but... do you have a love-hate relationship with that book? Because it sounds like it made you like judge yourself on certain things. No, but on the other hand, you love I it. I absolutely love the book. It didn't make me judge myself. It was the only thing that made me feel seen. It's the best grief book. I revisit it often, except for like a period of time in my twenties. I didn't even touch it very for like a couple of years, but I revisit it every few weeks. I revisit it like on anniversary dates and I'll notice certain things. I always go back to the six to 12 age crap because that was me mm-hmm. and to the birth order. Those are my two favorites. Um, Cause that's what I really wanted to read when I was nine. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I was reading it last year near her anniversary and I was like, this book talks about attachment styles. How did I not remember that? I've read it, but it was like 23 years later. And I'm like, oh, attachment styles is in this book. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. So the different things I'm drawn to mm-hmm. as an adult versus mm-hmm. the things that nine-year-old me latched on to. Yeah. Um, it just, I knew my life was going to look different. And this book is the only book where I'm like, oh, this is the best grief book. Okay, good. Because you had said you felt like you thought I wasn't grieving right. So I wasn't sure if that, you know, had, had, you know, made you feel, made you feel. No, that book taught me that I was grieving correctly for an eight-year-old child. Okay. But adults thought because I wasn't crying, I wasn't doing it right. And I was crying. I just not in front of them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. And you are telling me she, you just got her most recent book that came out, right? After grief, the after grief and something it's I'm halfway through it. I just started it the other day. And one thing in the book, it talks about how children are starting to maintain relationships with their parents. And that is something I did right away. I started writing her letters right away. Um, I started having a relationship with her as my dead mom right away. I've never not had a relationship with my mother. I've never put her on a shelf, really. Um, And I have a much more closer connection to dead mommy than I do to my dead father. And I call her at this point, I call her magic mommy. And there was even a point, like most of of my childhood, where I was angry at her. And we went through like the teenage stages together. Um, And I remember like in my late teens and early 20s, I would like talk about her to people and I'd be like resentful. And they're like, you should light up when you talk about her though. And I, um, then that would shut me up real quick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I've always had a relationship with her. And I don't know if it's because of the ages that makes it different or what makes it different. Cause he was my second parent. Um, and it's funny cause he's, She's, he's the one who believed in ghost and she's the one who believed in heaven. Like I feel her ghost much more, I guess. Mm. And 
people can take that literal or they can choose to think it's a concept. It doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. um, I just know that since I was eight years old, my mom has never left me. And I mm -hmm. also feel like my eight-year-old self is with her because I really do feel like that person's not who I am. That is a completely separate person. I don't like when I look at pictures of her, I'm like, she's a cute girl. Like I know she's me. And like, I remember that, but like she was going to have a such a different life than what I have. Mm -hmm. um, and I have fantastical ideas about what her lives could have looked like. Cause I don't know exactly what it would have been, but like, it wasn't going to be whatever I have right now. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, I have that as an idea to do for a podcast. And actually, I think I might have actually already, I either wrote a blog about it or something about how that you can then, when you lose your mom at a young age, you can then fantasize about what relationship you would have with her. Like now I have kids and I'm like, oh, she'd be a great grandmother. Like she'd probably do this and she would be this and she would do this. I don't do that. I'm talking about who Rachel could have been. I do it a little bit with her, but I don't know who she would have been. I barely really know who she was. I knew her as my mom. I know she was funny and outgoing and complex and happy and sad and most beautiful woman in the whole wide world. But that's how eight-year-olds see their moms as the most beautiful woman in the whole wide world. Every eight-year-old's mom is that. And I know she played softball and I know, like, I know hard facts about her and I know emotions about her and I have tons of pictures of her. But I have my relationship is with my dead mom more than who she was. I fantasize about who Rachel could have been. Okay. Hmm. And though I think it's beautiful that you fantasize about who your mom would have been, I've really only started to do that a little bit. But I can't like I think about it and I'm like, well, I don't know. Yeah. But I, I do, I do I do know way more complexities about what. Rachel was before her mom died so like I, I know like what her little brain thought about life mm -hmm. so I can imagine what her dreams would have been okay. and sometimes I try to imagine what our relationship would have been but that's feels like fantasy I don't even like yeah I stopped writing moms into my stories after she died so like that I scrapped it right away mm -hmm. well that's where you use the word fantastical and I I Mm -hmm. fantasy and where I'm using I'm saying yeah I did more of a fantasized kind of thing where you're saying that you are were focusing more on yourself and helping yeah. Rachel would have been mm -hmm. I yeah. wonder if because of your awesome two and a half years with your dad if that filled up your 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 you know capacity with things from your dad more than you had things with your mom. Cause you say that you've, you know, you're, you've kept the relationship with her more magic mommy through the years than with your dad. Have you ever thought about that? I have. I'm sure. I also developed a more complex relationship with him. Also at eight years old, everything is magical. Yeah. And by the time you get to be 11 and you're in middle school, things are a little less magical, especially in my case, where I've already gone through so much, but you're so mature between eight and just turning 11. Like that, a lot happens in that time. And eight-year-olds' brains are much more elastic. And like, that's where autobiography starts to happen. That's really, I have memories before eight. I have memories of my mom and I have a really 
great long-term memory more than, and that kind of makes me feel guilty because I know other kids who are similar age, they don't have memories yeah. or like trauma has repressed them. But yep. I kind of got that people weren't going to talk about her. That hurt them too much. So I was like, oh, I have to hold them on myself. I have mm-hmm. to live in these memories so I don't forget her. So, but also like when you're eight, the whole world is kind of magic and bright and shiny and nothing bad has happened. Even if it has happened, it's still, you're still, I don't know, but her dying is what made me a human before that I was my mother's kid. And then after that, I was a kid without a mother and that's like reality. And no matter how great those sleepovers were, I was still the kid without a mom. Mm -hmm. Um, No matter how great dance class was, my dad wasn't getting treated as great by being the only single dad there. And Mm -hmm. I didn't have a mom backstage putting makeup on me. Mm -hmm. So the world wasn't as shiny and bright as it was a couple years ago. Um, before we started recording, one of the other things you, you mentioned was about that there are certain things that you have never grieved. What have you, what have you never grieved? I have never grieved what they wouldn't be there for. I never imagined they'd be at my high school graduation. I never thought about graduating high school at eight years old. So I wasn't really sad when they weren't there. Um, I never imagined him really walking me down the aisle so that wasn't a memory I needed to grieve that wasn't something I was thinking about Mm. something I do grieve hardcore is I really liked being a widower's daughter I liked being my little daddy's girl and like you know the whole center of the world and I loved that it was kind of awesome and like how much like that could have been kind of cool forever to keep being you know having, you know, I guess keep having a parent would have been pretty cool, (laughs) but like, there's something I relate a lot to movies that, you know, a lot of movies, kids, movies, parents are dead or mom is dead. And when it's just mom, that's dead. Cause it's normally that the relationship between the daddy and the daughter is just like extra special. And because she died so young and I could like immediately be like, okay, she's dead scrapped. But he died, that made me an orphan. So like that was a double loss there kind of. So like, it's just a different, it's just a whole different kind of grief. It's much more like, it's more sad in my opinion. And not because he was better because he wasn't. They were both amazing. But it, one changed my life and my worldview. And then one changed, I lived in a different house that very same night. So. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, so I think since you, you've um, the experience that you've had and the, the work that you've done that you continue to you're in therapy now and the amount of time that you've spent in the book Motherless Daughters, I think you, you are very intentional about, you know, your thoughts and the way that you think about things. So I'd like to finish with what 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 do we need to know as a society to help support kids that are in that are from eight to eleven years old that lose their parents, lose a parent, experience I think, death? 
the first step is to think about them as 32 year olds. It's way harder to be 32 without parents than it was to be 12 without parents. I had no idea how long forever was when they died. When my mom died, I was like, okay, I don't have a mom anymore. That sucks. But how long do you need a mom for? How long do you live for? Um, I didn't really think how hard it would be for the rest of my life. I just thought about, can I go to school the next day? What will her body be like? Like, because she's still in my brain. Like, she still felt very real to me. But forever is a very long time. And your parents are important past the age of 18. And there's just, like, I grieve little things. Like, sometimes I'm like, I think I want to call my mom. I've never called my mother. I never called her as a kid. I was never like, oh, go let me call my mom. No, that never happened. There were no cell phones. So I've never called her. So sometimes like, I think I want to call a mom, like my mom. I don't know. I think that's this feeling I'm experiencing or like, I'll just be driving. I'm like, what if I get a flat tire? I'm like, I should have learned how to change a tire. This is when you should call your dad. My tire's not flat, but like, like, what if? But I think the biggest thing for young grievers that we really need to focus on is that for some reason, adults think that grieving is a step-by-step thing, I guess, or there's a, a limit to it. Or they think that kids grieve in the same way that adults do. And just because someone's not crying doesn't mean that they're not grieving. Look at their stories. Is mommy written out of the stories all of a sudden? That's grief. Um, Are they asking confused questions? Are, look at how they're playing with their toys. Just little changes. Um, Are they asking morbid questions about grown up songs like the dance? Um, like those are all signs of grief, but in the after grief book by hope, it's, I think it's like learning from kids or something. And I think you can really learn a lot from kids and how they grieve and how they show things because immediately without anyone telling me, I changed the relationship I had with my mom. It wasn't, that's not something that took time. It was immediate of my mom has now changed shape, but she's still my mother. And it's just a different relationship that we have. And that was done instantaneously. No one told me to do it. I did that on my own. I developed that relationship, but it got ignored because no one else wasn't going around really telling the adults that stuff. Um, Also, because her death is what created my personality basically. That's what my whole worldview is. It's shaped my entire worldview was that were those losses. Um, and I've had to imagine forever without them. I just feel like kids are way smarter than grownups in so many different ways. And like, they're already like closer to the veil or whatever you want to call it. Just like you could learn a lot from them instead of putting your nose down at them and being like, well, they're not doing what I would do at the age of 47. So they must not be grieving. They are, they're just doing it very differently than what you're doing because I'd never heard of the word grief before I was told that I wasn't doing it. Like I didn't know that word until someone said, you're not doing it right. I'd never heard it before. I'd never learned it before. I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing. I was just doing what was natural. 
And also I was listening around to what people were saying. So, so like, watch what you say in front of children. Um, because I don't really blame my father for what he said, but it really did screw me up the whole brave little girl. But I hold a lot of resentment to that family friend who said, why isn't she crying when I was standing right there? Or to the doctor who came into the little small room, saw a child, because I was a little sixth grader. I was short, like not even five feet tall, clearly a child. And I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to bluntly say that a person is dead. Yeah. Chances of it being that child's father, probably really high, but I'm not going to consider that. So this is a memory she's going to keep forever. And she's going to say really mean things and remember me in a really mean way forever, for the rest of her life, because those are the two days I'll spend the most time in. I've spent more time on the morning I found out my mom died and I have any other memory because that's what created me. And then my second memory is the day my dad died. So I think a lot about that doctor and I've never said a nice thing about him. And that sucks. He's probably saved a lot of lives, but to me, he's the mean man who told me my dad is dead. So just be mindful of um, what you say when children are around and try to take a minute to learn from them and maybe take a minute and like read the grief books, read Motherless Daughters and like see what's out there um, that maybe you don't know about and take a second to learn that a little kid that's grieving will be grieving for the rest of their life. Yeah. Well, it, that's just awesome. I think the thing that I love is that about how you said, like, from the, the moment that your mom was gone, that you made her into, you know, a different part of your life, but she's been a part of your life where I feel like a lot of times we're told that, well, they're gone. So you can't talk about them anymore and you can't do this and you can, and they're not a part of your life. So I love the fact that you immediately, you know, changed your, your thought process, you know, about her, but kept her as a part of you and your life. Yeah. I think some of that might've come from people saying like, Oh, she's everywhere. She's with you. Also, I grew up with the Lion King and Pocahontas had just come out. So I had Mufasa and Pocahontas's grandmother, the, I think grandmother Willow that I think had a huge impact. Like, Oh, they're, they're there still. So mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank gosh that Walt Disney's mom died so we could get all that trauma to teach kids how to grieve. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but no one can tell you what to do inside your own little brain. Yeah. So. Right. Well, like I always say, I'm sorry that you're part of the club, but I really appreciate you being here and I'm sharing your story. I'm so glad you made it to your thirties where that your talkativeness is being appreciated. Yeah. And I want to say, I think I have a different outlook than most club members. Um, I think it's made me a nice, caring, empathetic person. And like, like I said before, and I think about the other Rachels, I always like to imagine that she might be a little bit of a brat because her parents loved her a little too much. Thank God they did because it's what's gotten me through life. But I try to focus on all the good things that their loss has provided me. It's really, I think it's done a lot of good. Um, obviously I wish they were still here, but I'm a happy club member because I wouldn't, you gotta be happy. Okay. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you.
If you liked this episode or you are a fan of the show, the best way to support it is to share it on social media and with your family and friends. For more of my thoughts on the grief journey, please visit my website, www.yourgriefjourney.com. As always, remember, we can use grace, grit, and gratitude to grow with our grief.